Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast with your host, Andrew Keel. This is the podcast where you can get the education you need to invest 100% passively in the highly profitable niche of mobile home parks. Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast. This is your host, Andrew Keel. And today we have an amazing guest uh, and an up and comer in the mobile home park space in Mr. Dylan Marma. But before we dive in, I wanted to ask you a quick favor. Would you mind taking an extra 30 seconds and heading over to iTunes to rate this podcast with five stars? This helps us get more listeners and it means the absolute world for me. So thank you for taking the time to do that. All right, let's dive in. Dylan is the principal of the Requity Group, a vertically integrated real estate investment company focused around the acquisition and operation of mobile home parks and multifamily real estate. He has been a principal on over $60 million in real estate transactions over the last five years. He has been featured on dozens of podcasts and has spent over 100 hours consulting commercial real estate investors. He is also a CCIM designee and a member of the Florida West Coast chapter. Uh, One thing I learned about Dylan that I thought was amazing is that he dropped out of college after just two years to get started building his business. So Dylan, we're really excited to have you. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Excited to be here. Awesome. Maybe you can start out by telling our listeners uh, about your story and, and how you eventually got into manufactured housing. Yeah, well, you hit on the start of it. <laughs> Started off, um, it, I grew up in upstate New York and went to school in upstate New York, SUNY Albany. And after about two years of going to school for accounting, I got to a point where I had been raised my whole life to go sort of the corporate route. I had a lot of family that were working on Wall Street or in finance, and I was sort of following in their footsteps. And I had that moment, which I believe many of us entrepreneurs have, where we decide that we want to go against the grain and take a different route. And I had been spending a lot of time diving into the real estate books and all kinds of personal development at that time, uh, and eventually made the decision to take a, a big risk, which was to you know, leave school, to move across the country to sunny San Diego, uh, buying a one-way ticket with the pursuit of becoming a real estate investor. Uh, not having a job lined up, but fortunately, I was able to work my way into a real estate investing and education company uh, and got my foot in the door there and sort of climbed the ranks in a nice W-2 position where I was able to save up some money, start buying my first rental properties, and sort of getting a taste of cash flow and investing. And, and I had a lot of great mentors around me in that position. And come a certain moment after, say, three years of working in a W-2 role, I made the decision to take my entrepreneurial journey to the next level and, and uh, start pursuing multifamily and multifamily syndication. So dove into that, started off with 21 units with a few buddies of mine and, and you know a little bit of whatever money I had saved up uh, at, the, at the time and um, really got a good feel for multifamily. And I really got a good sense of the lifestyle that the vehicle of you know, multifamily investing could, could create for me. It's, some, it's something that I think just resonates really well with my sort of personality type. And I was fortunate to find a few partners and we started to go out and invest in a multifamily. We syndicated about, probably about 500 units or so, and then did about 250 doors of direct investments along the way in apartments. And that was all up until the beginning of last year. 
And as of the beginning of last year, I hit a point where I felt that the the return profile of multifamily was getting worse in a sense, right? And it started to put my head on a swivel a little bit more to see what else is out there. Because I think at the end of the day, it's all about what's going to yield us as investors, the best risk adjusted return. And I had that light bulb moment that I believe that many people have, and I'm sure many of your listeners have just listening to your show. And when I got to see the risk of a quality mobile home community versus an apartment complex, and I saw that the average lifespan, instead of being 50% turnover each year, you might have somewhere between five to 10% turnover each year. So I saw the fact that there's a lot less operational risk uh, at the point when you have a community that is all tenant owned homes. And I saw that you have a lot of, you have very good collections and, and overall just a lot of increasing demand towards the asset class. So when I had that light bulb moment, I started to pursue the space and fortunately linked up with a great partner who had you know, many years of experience, Charles, who was on your show not too long ago, I believe. And we started pursuing deals together and started off with 163 lot uh, heavy park on home community out in North Carolina. And then we launched a fund together and we're currently on our third acquisition of the fund under, under the name of TRG Founders Fund. Um, so, so far it's been a great, great journey. Wow, what a start. You started out with 163 lots and majority park-owned homes or yeah, all park-owned homes? 140 out of 163. 140 park-owned homes. Well, let's, let's talk about that for a minute. Uh, maybe you can you know, talk to the listeners about your, your plan to convert park-owned home communities. You know, many operators are scared and won't touch these parks. And you know, I think there's good opportunity there, right? Because uh, especially at a time like today where we just went to order some new manufactured homes from the factory and they told us that we're six to eight months out. So I think it's, it's attractive that, you know, hey, you got homes on lots. It's just a process to convert them, right, to tenant-owned homes. So what, you know, what makes these parks attractive to you guys and what's your plan to you know, convert them? So there's a few things that make them attractive. And I'll start with just some more of the situations that we deal with in the present day environment. Uh, just like you mentioned right now, there is manufacturers are backlogged and the cost of what used to be probably a new home at $35,000, that might be 45, 50,000 before we know it. So I think the value on older homes is going to be going up because you can't replace them anymore at the price that you used to be able to replace them. So you have that. The lending environment that we're in, they're starting to, there's a few different lenders and banks out there that are starting to provide more attractive financing options to park on homes that were not previously available. I know in a lot of the old you know, teachings on, on mobile homes, and I think uh, you know, it was widely used as a, a negotiating tool on park on home deals that the banks won't lend on the homes. So we can't count that towards the purchase price, or we can't count that towards the leverage that we're going to get, but that's that's slowly um, not becoming the case. And I think hopefully it continues to move in that direction. And then I think when you look at it from just more of a, a macro perspective, I'm not here to advocate that park-owned homes are better than tenant-owned homes. Uh, you know, we all we all want to be in tenant-owned homes, right? Um, that's the mecca, right? That's what I just talked about of having lower turnover, easier management, right? You have part-time community manager, no maintenance guys. It's it's great, right? 
but we're in a very competitive environment, right? And as the demand continues from investors and a lot of institutional money flows into this market, a lot of the low hanging fruit is gone. So you sort of have to pick your poison and you, and you sort of have to choose which one of the headaches you're going to deal with when it comes to finding value add opportunities to be able to create outsized returns. With park-owned homes, I came from running uh, you know, apartment complexes, and we had in-house property management at my former company. And I'm used to that, those headaches, we'll say, right? I, I was used to the turnover. So none of that really intimidated me very much because it, it was nothing outside of the norm, right? When I could see a deal that was doing, we'll say, you know, you're talking about a deal that's 35 a door, we'll say, with rents that are 750 or 800. If you look at that as an apartment complex, you would do that every day of the week, right? Every apartment operator wants that because that means very high cash flow, double digit cash flow, attractive yields and whatnot. So when I started to kind of connect those dots and see those numbers, it started to make a lot of sense seeing those that kind of cash flow going in can give you a lot of comfort and stability. Um, but you do have to be ready to deal with the management side of it. So what I really like in a park owned home community is having scale, just like with apartment complexes. I don't want to go and buy a 20 unit apartment complex halfway across the country because how am I going to, I can't afford a full-time manager. I can't afford any full-time maintenance guys. So who's going to be doing all the work. I'm going to be managing a bunch of handymen trying to do these turns and it's going to be an absolute nightmare, right? The way to get into park owned homes, I think is the same way. You want at least a hundred plus park owned homes because when you have a hundred plus park owned homes, you can, staff the property with a community manager that's full-time constantly leasing constantly marketing and handling that side of the business in addition you can have full-time maintenance guys on the one we just referenced with 140 park on homes we actually went in and we have a total of we start off with a total of four full-time maintenance guys i think it's going to end up being three full-time maintenance guys so we have we have an insane crew right we have at, at, on that community right now we have uh, three vacant units total out of 163, we have you know 70 units a year that we're expecting to turn over, 50% turnover, but we're leasing them up before these units are even rent ready. Right? As soon as someone's moving out, we're getting them leased up and, and we're, we're you know being able to run a tight ship because we have a crew that can operate well, that can do quick turns and that can lease the property well. And if you're able to do that, you have the cash flow coming in, you know, very strong double digit cash flow in this environment. And then you still have the value add component to it of being able to convert them into tenant owned homes. And there's a number of ways to go about doing this. Um, I think everyone has their own sort of strategy. With the used homes, it's hard to get a lot of cash or it's, it's hard to get a lot of cash sales. We'll say number one, depending on the age of the homes, if you want to fire sale the homes, that's one thing. But you know, a lot of $15,000, $20,000 homes, you know, are hard to cash sale. We, we have had them coming in, which is great, but, you know, more often than not, you got to find a different strategy. A lot of the banks, like 21st Mortgage, they don't finance the lower priced used homes, like the $10,000, $15,000 homes. So you're going to have, you're going you're to struggle to get them financed. So that leaves you with thinking about an alternative, which uh, we have as sort of a, a rent credit type of a, a program where they have sort of a rent to own program where they can go in and, and make some level of a down payment and then pay that off over time by having a, a portion of their day-to-day -day, you know, rent credited towards the pay down of the home. So over a five-year time period, they can you know, assume ownership and, and transfer title 
to the property. So it's definitely a long-term play, but the upside is you know, really good. Oh, definitely. So maybe you could could share with us how much on average one of those you know ten to fifteen thousand dollar used homes rents for in that first property. So on that property, we are renting for around eight to nine hundred. Um, and we're slowly wow. pushing beyond that. So we're getting pretty substantial. I mean, that includes the portion that's going towards the lot rent, right? But we have, I believe it's 375 for the lot rent and the remainder is going towards the actual home rent. A lot of times you'll see it's about 50% goes towards the lot rent, 50% goes towards sure. the home rent. Um, so that's what we're doing in that in that case. Wow. Yeah, I, that makes a lot of sense. You know, talking about the scale of it and being able to afford the personnel I think it's just a different model. You know, it's, it's a little more management intensive, but if you're able to slowly turn it into a tenant owned home community, uh, I mean, you can create some great cash flow along the way. So that's fantastic. Uh, Dylan, what are the most important things that passive investors, you know, LPs need to look out for when investing into mobile home parks? So I'm a big believer in, even as an LP, it's your responsibility to know the numbers, at least at a very base level. You, you should be able to review someone's assumptions and underwriting and start to form your own opinion and perspective of how they're going to be running the deal. The easiest way to do that is to look at other operator deals and over time start to see patterns and get a general understanding on what repairs and maintenance looks like, what payroll looks like utilities and, and, and so on. That way you can form your own opinion because I've seen a lot of new people enter this space or enter apartments and these deals could be scary, right? To put it frankly, right? I, because they, they could completely miss on one expense item or one assumption or just have the wrong input. <laughs> and that could, that can lead to a totally different result uh, number one. So I think it's first off knowing the numbers, right? If I talk about a park on home deal, then I'm expecting probably a thousand dollars for every park on home per year in repairs and maintenance, right? Because the repairs and maintenance is, you know, five, five X, five to 10 X, what a typical uh, tenant owned home repairs and maintenance is because all of your R&M is going into your turnover costs because you're going to have someone move out every two years and you have to be prepared for that kind of turnover. You also have to have the proper payroll in place. So that's just one example, but number one is know the numbers and connect with people that are experienced to, to help you become more familiar with that. And then two, you really need to understand the risks that are outside of the numbers that can take place, right? Uh, of course, you can have a very rosy pro forma, but if you're in a flood zone that's that's ultra high risk and you can't insure, you can't get proper insurance on that deal, then there may be a situation where you could have a deal go to zero, right? And that could even go could even go negative beyond zero if if you can't pay back the investors and there's still you know, a mortgage to be to be paid on the property. So knowing what the risks are and always, you know, inquiring on on learning more about, um, I'm not saying don't go after deals that are in flood zones, but there's flood zones, there's, there's you know, hurricane areas, there's 
utility risks. I think that's a big thing within mobile home communities. Um, if you have private utilities, knowing what the backup plan is, if those break down on you and what the risks are of the various private utility systems. So those would be my big suggestions. Yeah, I think those are uh, huge, huge points that you touched on there, you know, knowing the numbers, you know, if you were an LP, do you have an example of like a real rough kind of maybe valuation tool that an LP could use just to kind of make sure that the numbers make sense on a deal that they're looking to invest in? Yeah, careful of is staying away from too many rules of thumb, right? Because there are a lot of rules of thumb out there of like, oh, it's 35% expenses, but you also have to look at if it's a park owned home deal, it's probably 50% expenses, right? And then, you know, there's a number of those kind of things that I, I can get into. So I, I think the best thing to think about is looking at a, on, a, on a per line item, right? Uh, understanding how much each line item typically goes for. And I don't have any direct resources for this. It's something that I've been starting to kind of put together a bit, but learning just the basics on, you know, how much are repairs and maintenance, how much is typical payroll, how much is insurance, um, how much are taxes, and, and sort of breaking that down and, and coming up with a basic pattern. And I'm sure any sponsor who's been doing this for a bit can be able to fill you in on those things. And and also, I wouldn't be too shy as someone that has more experience. Yeah, definitely. You know, a lot of times people say, hey, look at the expense ratio and kind of build from that. You know, would you say that on a park-owned home community, you know, the, the expense ratio would be, you know, double that of a tenant-owned home community. You know, typically you hear on tenant-owned home communities somewhere around 35 to 45%, uh, you know, of the gross income is going to be expenses. On a park-owned home community, you know, what does that look like? What is your typical expense ratio? So I, yeah, I look a lot at the patterns on this side and I usually find around 50%. If you look at an apartment complex, okay. you run at about 50% expense ratio when you're optimized with market rent. And that's for the most part, what I find on most park on home communities. And if you want to do it on a per door per year expense, which is kind of how I, I'm just one of those guys that always does like the per door per year type thing. But I usually find around $3,800, right? A lot of the tenant owned home side, you're looking at like 14 to $1,500 per door per year and like you're all in expense load. And then the remainder of that would go towards the, the park owned side. So if it was all park owned, let's say maybe 14, 1500 towards the lot um, side of it. And then the maybe, maybe another two grand, maybe a little bit over two grand towards the actual home side of it to cover taxes, insurance, repairs and payroll and so on. Gotcha. Wonderful. Uh, Dylan, what does the perfect mobile home park look like in your eyes? Well, the perfect one is probably not park owned homes after all this talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Although I think there can be a tremendous amount of opportunity there. I think depends mostly on price more than anything. In my eyes, I tend to be an investor who thinks that you can buy a good deal at a bad price and you can buy a bad deal at a at a good price and, and probably still make sense of it at times. I lean towards buying more quality product that has more quality long-term prospects than simply high in-place yield or something to that degree. Um, but yeah, I'd say the perfect deal for me would be something that has low risks. We can say and has economies of scale with 
minimum of 100 plus units and just has be prepares for a nice long-term growth. Wonderful, wonderful. What hurdles does the manufactured housing industry face moving forward? I think the biggest hurdle that we're up against is the increasing in price. We have seen that even over the last few months, pricing has continued to go up, especially as there's risks of inflation or at least talks of of inflation coming up. I think more and more people are seeking security that this asset class has to provide for us. So I think the biggest threat is pricing going up and and making it harder for us to find the quality risk adjusted return that we're all seeking in the space as we see the industry continue to consolidate. And I don't know if it's going to be cyclical or how cyclical it will be, I should say, because there, there is a possibility that this space really does consolidate and it just becomes a different playing field over the next five years. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what the business looks like five, 10 years from now. I think a lot of the bigger, you know, bigger private equity firms will start to look at smaller assets. You know, they'll have to go under a hundred lots, which is kind of this artificial barrier, but, but yeah, that's uh, that is something that is going to be interesting. Dylan, one of the last questions here, uh, what's the value proposition at Requity and what makes you guys different? We have at Requity is that we are geographically focused, mainly targeting specific markets throughout the Southeast. And we are ultimately trying to buy quality product that has potential for an institutional level exit. So our goal rather than just trying to find the best deals with in place kind of cash flow or that look good on on simply you know a spreadsheet will say we're trying to be strategic about our growth in a way that can give us economies of scale the ability to manage very well as we as we scale and you know emphasizing operations with the ability to have the off chance that we we acquire enough scale to, to be able to have a really attractive exit long-term. Wonderful. Dylan, how can listeners get a hold of you if they would like to do so? So you can reach out to us on at therequitygroup.com. That's the requitygroup.com. Uh, you can also reach me on LinkedIn and all of my contact info should be on the website as well. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Dylan. It was a pleasure having you having you today. Uh, really appreciate all of the, the insights you offered. Thanks so much for having me, Andrew. Really enjoyed it. Awesome. That's it for today, folks. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Would you like to see Mobile Home Park value-add projects in progress? If so, follow us on Instagram at PassiveMHPInvesting for photos and awesome videos from our recent mobile home park acquisitions. Once again, that's at Passive MHP Investing on Instagram. See you there.